Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. King of kings, king of all nations, every tongue will confess in every language. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nathaniel. Uh, I am the uh, missional communities guy here at Storehouse. Um, and I am grateful that y'all are here this morning. Uh, anyone who's new or maybe first, second time visiting, uh, we are glad to have you and, and thankful that you have decided to join us this morning. Uh, we would love to answer any questions you may have or get to know you, have a coffee with you, whatever uh, you're comfortable with. And so a great way to do that is uh, over here at this table, there's some connect cards. And so you can give as much information as you want. If you have any questions, write them down. Um, or, or if you just want prayer and you don't want to be contacted, that's totally fine too. But we would love to just pray and contact you and, and be able to get to know you more. And so you can just fill one of those out, slip it into the little um, box right there. Well, the big tall one. Um, and so thank you for being here. Um, I've got a few announcements today before we kind of jump into everything. Uh, the very first announcement is, ladies, this Saturday is going to uh, be the Bible recap, the women's Bible study that's happening. Um, there's a lot of women in the church that y'all are going through this. I know my wife is as well, um, and it has been fruitful for her, and, and she's enjoyed it. And so this Saturday, y'all will be meeting together to kind of talk through everything um, that you've read so far and some of the you know material that you've covered. Um, and so that will be a 9.30 a.m. here in the incubator, so in this place right here on Saturday, uh, February 6th. And so that's the first one. Second one is men. We're going to be gathering, not this Saturday, but the next Saturday then on the 13th, I believe. And that will be at 930 as well. And it will be over at the Old Church Winery. Okay. So usually we just hang out, maybe eat some food, uh, have some great teaching from Pastor Marco. And so I would encourage uh, men and women, if you guys want to be involved in these things and you haven't yet, that's totally fine. You can just come to either event and uh, get plugged in kind of see what it's about. Um, you don't have to have any prior knowledge of anything that we've done before with these. And so come join us this Saturday and next Saturday um, for these events. And then lastly, um, I want to just put a reminder out there for members of Storehouse, okay, this is for members, that this big tall box where the Connect cards can go is also a giving box. And so we are going into 2021, you know, we've been in for about a month now, um, and giving is uh, an aspect of obedience to God, to your local church. Um, and so that's why I'm asking members to remember to give either here or online at storehousemcallen.com uh, and just be faithful in that. And I also want to be very clear that this is not a, just a call for, you know, give us money to visitors or to anyone coming uh, for the first, second time. If this is your home, we ask that you faithfully give because Jesus asked that we faithfully give. Um, but if this, isn't, if this isn't your church home or you're not even a Christian, then don't feel pressured to give, okay? That, that's not what we're about. We're about obedience to God and his commandments, and, and that's it. And we know that God will provide uh, regardless of what happens. And so this is just a friendly reminder to those members of Storehouse that you can give here and you can give online. Uh, I wanted to put that out there because I'm the person where I'm like waiting till that reminder and like, oh, I haven't given in like a month. And so I, I need that sometimes. And so hopefully this has been um, a blessing for you. 
And so those are all of our announcements today. Uh, We are going to be continuing our series in discipleship this morning. We have been in discipleship for the entire year so far. I I can say that. And um, today we're going to be talking about how we as Christians must live in a certain way. We must live every day intentionally and purposefully because we live on a mission. And this mission, how well we do at it, how well we succeed at this mission is going to directly influence how successful and fruitful we are in our discipleship relationships. Now, when thinking about living on mission, thinking of living on purpose, my immediately thought was uh, Darius Leonard. I'm pretty sure nobody in this room knows who that is. Uh, I am from Indiana originally, and so I'm a huge Indianapolis Colts football fan, okay? Darius Leonard is probably our best player on the team. Um, but he speaks, okay, and you can relate this to anyone, really in any profession, any, any career, uh, any hobby. He speaks about how he lives his whole life geared toward the mission of being the absolute best, He talks about this all the time. He's like, I'm the best linebacker in the league. I'm going to be the best. Um, And he, he talks about how, whether he's in practice or in games or at home or whatever, he just tackles everything he does with such a high intensity that is geared toward being the absolute best. He lives on a mission that he has given himself to be the best there is. And the cool thing is that, uh, I mean, you see the fruit of it. He statistically is the best. I'm not saying he is the best, you know, uh, but he is statistically uh, very, very good. And so he is somebody that has proclaimed, I'm living on mission to be the best there is, and his actions reflect it. His life reflects it. Everything he says, how he talks, how he does interviews, all this stuff drives him toward this mission of his to be the best there is in football. Our mission, church, our mission is to bring glory to God. That is our purpose. That is our mission. Our lives, everything that we do, our thoughts, our actions, all the things that drive us should push toward succeeding in that mission. And that is going to be grounded in the knowledge of who we are. And that's really what I want to just push into today with, is that we live on mission to glorify God because of who we are and what that implies. The implications of our identity is going to have ramifications that that go across not just our time here on Sundays or when you're meeting on next Saturday or the next or whether you're in your small group. This is something that spreads across your entire life because of who you are and the implications of that. If Darius Leonard, a football player who who can be absolutely committed to living his life completely geared toward a self-given mission, should we not, Christian, be so much more driven in our God-given mission? And if we are able to be successful in that mission of bringing glory to God in everything that we do all day long, in every, absolutely everything, then we shall see that 
our discipleship will skyrocket. It will be successful. It will be fruitful because everything we do is geared toward our purpose. And so today we are going to be reading in 1 Peter chapter 2, so you can open your Bibles and join me there. We are going to be reading out of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. And Peter is talking to the church and giving us a very clear uh, guideline, really, to be able to do this. It's one of those wonderful passages where you're like, okay, but how do I actually do this? And Peter's like, I'll tell you, it's right here, okay? It's very, very wonderful, simple, yet we're going to dive into it and see just how uh, beautiful it can be. And so verse uh, nine, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on that day of visitation. Let's pray for our time this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you not only do a miraculous work of regeneration and transformation within us, but you have set a very special book aside for us to be able to know your mind, your will, your desires. Lord, we ask that, that you speak into our hearts and our minds today so that we may understand everything that you have for us here in First Peter. Holy Spirit, continuously convict us and encourage us so that we may live in a way that honors you, that glorifies you, so that we may fulfill the purpose you have set for us from the beginning. Father, I ask that you put me aside. Holy Spirit, speak through me in this time so that your text may be the thing that is given rather than myself. Lord, I thank you for all that you do and for what you are doing and you will do this morning. Amen. All right, to start out this conversation about our mission, right, we're going to really answer the question of, okay, then who are we and what are the implications of that? Because Peter is giving us a list right off the bat in verses 9 and 10, a list of uh, characteristics, qualifications, the implications of our identity. And up front, our identity, who you are, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. That is first and foremost. That is who you are, a child of God. And there's a very important aspect to this as well. You are an adopted child of God. We do not start in this state. Rather, we become a part of his family. And so what are the implications of this? Peter begins with, you are a chosen race. Now it says you are, right? And we're going to look at this for a second. 
we think in terms of uh, individualism, especially in Western culture, right? We think of the individual. And this morning through worship, we had a, a wonderful expression from Eric on, on our individual relationship and connection with God. And that is so true. We are able to have a special bond and relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a way that we do not deserve, right? There is this individual aspect. But Peter, in this passage, he is speaking to the church as a whole. So a better translation of this is, is actually you all. He's saying, y'all are a chosen race. It's a plural form of the word you. And so we may think uh, completely in terms of individualism, but what we need to do is adjust our thinking a little bit and start thinking in terms of the corporate church. The church that was established with the disciples that has gone through centuries and the church that continues today across the entire world. And see, the encouraging thing about this is that we're not alone. The encouraging thing is that there is an entire entity that is outside of the struggles, the sin, the crazy pain of this world that we become a member of. And so the, the very practical way of thinking about this that, that we can kind of do is, is I'm not going to get into the whole talk of once saved, always saved, okay? That's not for today. But we have all, and I can say this pretty confidently, pretty much every person in this room has known or, or been familiar with somebody who was maybe in the church in some way and have since departed, left the church, seemingly walked away from everything. That can be heartbreaking. That can be something that really, it really puts just this burr in our saddle Sorry, I grew up on a farm. Um, this can be something that can, that can really upset us and, and bring doubt into our minds about our faith and, and everything that God is doing, especially if it's somebody that we have great respect for, somebody that mentored us, somebody that guided us, or somebody we looked up to, and to see them then leave it all. Where does that leave us? It, it is difficult, and it happens all the time. I remember when I was uh, young, I grew up in the church, but I didn't become a Christian until um, I was in university. And a big part of that was that I had a just uh, a run of different youth pastors at the church that I attended with my parents, where I did not necessarily see the Jesus that was being taught within them. You know what I'm saying? And it was confusing for me. And I was like, okay, my parents, they are God-fearing people who live this out. But I was kind of like, they seem to be the only ones. So maybe they're just good people, right? Maybe this is not really a real thing. And that really drove me away from the church in general and ultimately Jesus Christ for years. It is difficult to reconcile the idea of somebody individually leaving the church or, or disappointing us or the hypocrisy that we can see, this is tough. I recognize this. 
The beautiful thing, though, about the church is that it is an eternal kingdom. It is an entity outside of the individual. It is something that individually we may become a part of, but the church was ordained and predestined by God to be the chosen representative of himself on earth, and we get to be a part of that. But when we see just one individual that may split the way we think about it, it doesn't affect the church. You guys hear me on this. This is something that should bring joy to us and comfort. Those moments don't lose the pain and the heartache. I recognize this, and I encourage you to grieve for those that you know and you have seen that seemingly leave the church. But take great comfort in the fact that you are a part of something that cannot be broken by an individual walking away. And so take joy and comfort, church, because we are a chosen race. We are part of a corporate body. And he continues to say that we are a royal priesthood, and and he's referencing how we are kings and priests because when we become Christians, when you follow Jesus Christ, you turn away from your sin, you commit to following him, and your heart is regenerated and made new, then Jesus says you are a son or daughter of God, and you are a co-heir with me, meaning that the authority that I have, I will give to you. And so we become royal because Jesus is the king of kings. And so he says, I am going to impart some of my authority upon you. And so that practically means that we have a power and an authority over sin and death. Sin has no control over the Christian. We may be tempted. There may be times when it seems like everything is so dark, but sin has no control over you. You can say no to sin. Not only that, we have a special access to God as priests, and this is referencing our relationship with the Trinity with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we are able to be in that personal relationship with. And so we have special access to God because we can know him and know what he desires and know his character. And we have power over sin, which means church. We have the power to break the chains of sin in our lives, in the lives of others within the church, and systematically within this world, it is our duty and our responsibility to fight the power of sin in this world. Right now, there is a huge cultural discussion on systematic racism, particularly in the United States. It should grieve every one of us that racism exists at all. I don't really care what your political views are on maybe specific issues that may fall within this realm. The simple fact that there is racism should cause us to say, God, no more. 
and we are a royal priesthood. We have access to the mind and the will of God so that we may have power to break these chains. Church, we should be the first at the front line saying we will not stand for racism. We will not stand for sin of any kind in this world. Because God has ordained it and he has made it so by saying you are chosen, you are predestined, you are a royal priesthood that has authority. And he continues saying that you are a holy nation and this is speaking to the righteousness of the church. The righteousness that should be in all of our lives now I'm going to get a little, a little bit more practical with this because we speak in the language of holiness and, and righteousness, right? Sanctification, putting death or putting sin to death within our own lives, and and seeking that for you know all believers. And this is very true. That language, though, uh, is very Christian, right? And so I want to use an example uh, of The Simpsons, something to make this a little bit watered down, but has a very real application. So in The Simpsons, there's this dude named, I think it's Ned. I've actually only seen like five episodes. But um, this guy, Ned, is the Christian character in this show. And he's the neighbor of the main character, Homer, who is the fat one that eats donuts, I think. And he, um, him and Ned have a neighborly friendship, relationship. But the interesting thing to me that I've, I've seen uh, about this relationship and about Ned in general, it seems, is that he is just annoying to everybody in the show. He's just annoying. Now, from what I've seen, he, he's not really self-righteous. He's not arrogant. He, he's not really like condemning people or anything like that. He's annoying to everybody because he's just a good guy. Some of, the, some of the episodes I've seen of, of, are the clips of Homer and Ned's interactions is Ned just being super friendly to Homer and Homer hates it. <laughs> but this is interesting, right? I, I'm, I am, uh, I'm not going to say for certain, but I'm pretty positive the writers of The Simpsons aren't Christians um, just because of some of the things they're said. But the fact that they kind of touch on this point is interesting, right? Where the Christian in the show is just a nice guy. He's just a good dude. And he treats people with respect and kindness. Annoyingly so. Christian, what would it look like if we were just so annoyingly good that the world took notice? Yes, we, we pursue holiness and righteousness because we are called to be like Jesus Christ, where sin has no hold and no spot in our lives at all. But sometimes we think of this too uh, metaphysically, where we put it way up there in this like, we have to go all the way to this point of full righteousness and full holiness without thinking of just the everyday of, are you just nice? Are you showing love and care and compassion for the people that you interact with every single day? Are you that annoying person just because you're just a good guy? It's simple, right? It's kind of silly in a way. I feel silly talking about it. But it's true. How many Christians are really thought of just as nice people? Our witness to the world, the way that we disciple 
other believers and non-believers, man, it can fail or flourish just by being nice and good to them. And, and really, I mean, that should be one of the first fruits. If you actually love people, you're going to be good to them. And so this may seem simple, may seem silly, but I mean, I want you to really ask yourself, and, and not just in general, oh yeah, I'm a good guy, but think about your relationships with people. Are you truly good to them? Are you nice? Are you that annoying person that is just such a nice guy that the office is like, there he goes again. It's not a bad thing. Because we are a holy nation set apart for a purpose. And next it says, Peter says that we are God's possession. We are the bride of Christ. The church is set apart and ordained for a purpose. And we are God's and God's alone. Meaning we cannot be taken from his hand. In John 10, 28, it says, I give them eternal life. And once again, he is talking to the church. All of us together, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. That means that there is no force on this earth, no force spiritually that can lead you away from Jesus. He has complete and full authority over everything. And there is a truth that there is a demonic presence in this world. There is spiritual battles and warfare happening that want you to deny Jesus and not fulfill your mission of glorifying him, but rather glorify yourself or something else to worship idols. This is a very real thing. And Christian, I say today that they have no authority over you. There, there's, this, uh, there's this time in uh, Guatemala, this was a few years ago when I was in Guatemala with a, a bunch of people from this church, and it was a fantastic time where we were able to uh, be with uh, Dylan and Missy Brope, some of our missionaries down there, and see what they're doing. And we went and we're kind of experiencing one of the cities and the culture, and you know, one of those times when you can buy little things and all that. Uh, and one thing that I always do every time I go to um, a different culture, a different country, is that I buy a little piece of artwork, right? Something that represents kind of uh, that unique culture in that location. And so when I was there, I, I saw that they had these ceremonial, like, wooden masks. Beautiful wood carving, paint, and, and all that on them. And so I was interested in these, and I ended up buying one. And there was a few dudes who were there, uh, uh, some local guys, who were kind of talking to me about this, and they were like, hey, you, you might not want to do that. And I was like, well, why not? They said, well, the root of these masks is in, you know, some pagan uh, ceremonial type things. You know, it, it was born before Christ, you know, Christianity came and all that. And so there's this belief that there's evil spirits within, you know, them because, you know, they're not Christian. They're worshiping other things. And my response was, you know, that, that, that's terrifying, but I am a son of God. I am owned by Jesus Christ, and so I do not fear anything that may be in this mask because it has no authority over me. And just to be safe, because I do take those things seriously because it's real, okay? 
spiritual forces is real in this life. And so to be on the safe side, I prayed over that mask and said, anything in here, anything that wants to lead me or my family astray, be gone. And in the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus's authority, it was so. And so that mask is in my house today. And even though I have three small children and my wife, I know that there's no threat because my home, my family is protected by the authority of Jesus Christ that he has given me. We are God's possession, which means nothing else can possess us. Not sin, not death, and not any other force within this world. And lastly, or second to last, we are sojourners and exiles. And this is because we are part of the church. We are part of an eternal kingdom that is not of this world. Our king is not an earthly king. Our king is Jesus Christ. And so we are members, citizens of this kingdom. And so that means this world shall always be opposed to us because we don't make sense. Nobody can make sense of what this kingdom is. When Jesus was here preaching about the kingdom of God, that was one of the biggest things where the Pharisees and and non-believers were like, what are you talking about? That's not possible. Everyone was like, you have to, you know, overthrow the Romans. You have to bring Israel up into a, a new kingdom. And he's saying, that's not it. I am making a kingdom, a heavenly kingdom an eternal kingdom. And church, I am here to tell you that we are that kingdom. Praise God. The flip side of this is that opposition will occur. So do not be surprised when it comes. And lastly, we are heralds. Peter says that that we are these things so that we may proclaim the excellencies of God who called us out of darkness, the one who saved us from sin and brought us into his marvelous light, gave us salvation. Because of that, we are heralds. Those who in this world, through discipleship, Discipleship is simply taking someone and bringing them a little closer to Jesus. That's it. It can be a Christian or a non-Christian. Just bring them a little closer to Jesus. That's what discipleship is, and it happens because we are heralds. We are proclaiming the goodness of God who has saved us. And in that, we are able to glorify him. Because let me tell you, every single time a new believer enters into the church, God is glorified. That should be what we're pursuing. That is the greatest way that God is glorified. And that happens, though, because we live life on a mission that makes it possible for people to see it and say, that is a real thing. Because let me tell you, if you live life and, and it has nothing to do with God and you are rejecting him through your actions, whether you speak it or not, then people are not going to follow you. People are not going to say, I want what they have because you'll be no different. So we must be heralds 
And it's possible because God, as we've already talked about, has imparted authority, responsibility, and power into the believer so that we may proclaim his excellencies with power and authority. We were once so lost, every single one of us, misguided. We did not know him. And now we do. You had no salvation, and now you do. God has done a very miraculous work in your life. And Christian, do not forget that. I don't care if you've been a Christian for a week or for 50 years. Do not forget what God has done for you. Because it is through that we are able to proclaim how good he really is. And so because of who we are as children of God and the implications, the characteristics, the things that come about because of that, we live on mission. Mission, our mission is to bring glory to God in the greatest way possible. And I want to speak to that a little bit about uh, the world in relation to this mission. We're not unique in that. The church has a special ordained call to fulfill this mission, but we all have it. Every single human in the world has this mission when they are created. See, God created everything, right? God created everything, and he said it's good, or it's very good. So our naturally created state as mankind is to bring glory and worship God. The difference between the church and those outside of the church is that we know our purpose and we're able to fulfill it. And it's because of that that we experience a fullness of joy and life and vibrancy in this world that nobody outside of the church can experience. I mean, that's the difference. It's not because we're special in any way. It's because God has revealed himself to us and said, this is your purpose. Now go tell everyone else who doesn't know already. Bring them into this. Because life within the church is so much better than life without. And so our lives in general, the way that we live them, become so much more vital. Because we are a testimony for people to know whether or not that is a truth. With a big T or a little T. And so let's now get into the practical, right? Peter spends the rest of this passage giving us very clear, practical things on how do, how do we do this? What, what does this look like? How does this happen? So what's this mission entail? What's it look like to bring glory to God within our lives as we live intentionally and purposefully? First off, we must choose joy. In verse 10, it says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I already touched on this. That's amazing. We should be overflowing with joy for how God has saved us. But this is a choice that we make. Joy is not an emotion. Okay? Happiness is an emotion. Joy is different. Joy is completely different. 
we are able to choose joy only because we are provoked to great love because of God's actions within our lives. The fact that he has saved us from ourselves should provoke love. It says in John 15, 8 through 11, by this my father is glorified. What we're supposed to be doing, right? Glorifying God. By this, Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples so that we are fruitful in our discipleship making, right? God is glorified by being fruitful in discipleship making. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. This happens if you abide in my love, if you keep my commandments and you will abide in my love. So we must live obediently just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. It is not an emotion. It is a choice that is born out of a great, deep, abiding love for Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that uh, I can speak to specifically about this just happened this week, and um, I actually did a good job with this, uh, which never happens. I'm not very good at this. Um, and so I hope this encourages you guys. Earlier this week, we had um, a lot of meetings with our caseworkers for our foster kids, whom we are hoping to adopt. And we were actually told it's quite possible to do so by uh, February, like starting next week, right? Don't get too excited. We uh, found out this past week that there has been a for sure set in stone delay for at least two of our kids for six months. Um, this is uh, not the news I was hoping for. Uh, there was a lot of emotions, right? They kind of go through with all of this. Uh, I was frustrated. I was angry. I was sad. I was... Uh, just confused, you know, how could this happen from what we've been told before, right? My emotions were a hot mess, and I didn't know what to do with all of it. And so I went away from everything and was just, uh, and for me, that's going on a run. So I was just jogging and just praying. I was like, God, I, I don't know what to do with this. I want to lash out. I want to, I want to like, formally complain to the courts. I want to, I want to do all this stuff because I, I am just, I'm livid, you know, at that moment. I, I didn't know what to do. And God very clearly in that moment said, you can't really do anything. Well, that made me more mad. And so then I was just like, God, I don't, I don't get this. Like, this is, this, this should not be, right? We've done everything right. We've, we've taken these kids in. We've loved them for, for a year. Like, this, this is my family. And now we have this possibility of delay, well, the certainty of delay and possibility of not even being able to adopt them forever. Um, I did forget one part. Uh, one of the fathers came into the picture and is now possibly pursuing one of my kids again. Um, and so there's, this, this, there's everything that's going into this where I just don't, my emotions are all over, right? I can't really express it quite clearly. But during the course of that run and praying and meditating on different scriptures that were coming to mind, it occurred to me that even though 
my kids may be taken away or you know, things may not turn out the way I want, or even if it's just the delay, that I have cause for great joy in that moment because God gave me today. He gave me yesterday. The blessings of God are greater than the terrible circumstances that may surround anything. And so I say this like Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, not because I'm anything special. I mean, I just shared with you how my emotions were borderline sinful, if not some at a moment. But because our joy in Jesus Christ, the fact that God has saved me, claimed me as his own, and I know that I have eternal life in relationship with him, that everything else shall pass away and I shall only know him. That is such a glorious thing. And the simple fact still remains that he gave me today with my kids. There is great blessing in knowing God and his plans and purpose for our lives. Even if everything else kind of sucks. Even if you're like Job and everything's literally gone. There is great joy to be found in the simple knowledge that God loves you, keeps you, and possesses you. And so I can't tell you, I can't tell you how to have that joy. I can't give you any surefire way that that joy is, is the first thing that's going to happen. But I can give you a personal and a historical account of how this happens. The historical church has pretty much agreed upon that prayer and scripture is the way to be able to obtain this joy. I mean, it worked for me just this week. Through prayer and through his holy word, I was able to remember who I am and who God is. And that was able to give me joy. Even as emotionally, I am still all over the place, but God has given me a joy that overcomes. And so my prayer for you is that when you find yourselves in these moments, in these instances, these circumstances, that you will remember who you are. Remember who God is and the promises that he has given you. Not the promise that everything works out in this life, but the promise of eternal life with him. So we must choose joy. And if we are able to choose joy, all these other things become a lot easier, let me tell you. They become a lot easier. Next up, he says that we must abstain from the passions of the flesh. We must live righteously. I'm not going to spend forever on this because we talked about it. We must live in a way where the world looks upon us and says they're different. There's something different about them. Number three, that we wage spiritual warfare. Because let me tell you, those other demonic forces are waging war, we must wage war back. And once again, that's going to happen through prayer and through knowing who God is and who you are. That is our weapons against the enemy. We must wage war. Number four, we must be honorable. One of the things that fascinates me about the African and the Asian church especially is this beautiful understanding of, of honor and shame within a culture, 
right? Because their cultures are based on under shame. We're, we're more kind of a guilt and innocence culture, right? And you can Google this and learn more about all that uh, stuff. But um, honor and shame, I, I love the way that the African church especially has really tackled this theologically because the idea is that when we sin, one of the ideas that goes along with this is that when we are sinning, when we rebel against God, we are shaming God. We are bringing shame to him. Now that has such a great connotation with it where we are bringing shame to God the Almighty I do not want to be the one to shame God by my actions, by my behavior. And this is exactly what scripture tells us, that we must bring honor to God. We must bring glory to him. And so sin, I mean, it's serious. Do not expect uh, your life to have no ramifications. The way that you act and treat people has ramifications across their lives and your own. And then on that personal level, man, are you honoring or shaming your God? We must be honorable as Christians. We must endure slander. Peter tells that we are going to deal with opposition. We must endure this slander. And this is difficult because, well, we like to be liked, right? I mean, it's true for pretty much everybody. We want to be liked. And the fact is that we are citizens of an eternal kingdom where we shall have opposition, and sometimes people just won't like us just because of what we believe and what we know is true. Uh, That's a bummer, and I don't like it. But that should not sway us from our faith. Rather, that is the time when we can be encouraged of the fact that we are part of the church, where there are millions of believers who love God across the centuries, and that we stand with them, strong, firm. They give you encouragement. We must be an example to others. And this is, this is that key discipleship point for this sermon, is that we must be an example. Discipleship is going to be fruitful or it's going to fail through the example you set for people. So Christian, be intentional. Be purposeful. Know that the way you live your life makes a difference. It is not your own. And lastly, we must point people toward Jesus. God is glorified when people know him. The day of visitation that, um, that Peter's talking about here in this passage is the day of judgment, the day when we will all be before him and have to answer to him. And he will either say that, welcome, I love you. I'm looking forward to relationship forever, or he's going to say, I I don't know who you are. Personally, that should be convicting, and it should bring us to a point where we should grieve for those who don't know him. 
So let us point everyone to him so that everyone in the world can experience the fullness of this joy. And and practically, that's not going to happen, but we can still strive for it. We should never give up on the goal that we have for everyone to know him. So Christians, let's, let's live on mission. Let's live on mission so that we can bring glory to God because the effectiveness of your discipleship hinges on the life that you live every day and all day. It's a massive responsibility, but it's accompanied with an amazing joy that cannot be taken away from you. And so take joy in the fellowship that we have with fellow believers. Take joy in your relationship with God and take joy in the fact that he trusts you enough to give you a mission to bring honor to him and to be the vehicle that he uses to bring salvation to the world. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for the, for the fact that you have given us an amazing gift. Yeah, it's, it's a great responsibility to think in terms of, man, you have chosen to save people through the church, through the ability for the church to proclaim your excellencies. And being a part of that, that is hefty. But at the same time, God, thank you. You have given much responsibility because you trust your people to do it. God, I want to be the person who honors you, who fulfills my purpose in this life. Holy Spirit, I ask that you give us all a miraculous power to be able to pursue that. Because it is not our will that wants it. But let us submit to your will in all that we do. So that our discipleship, the chances that we have with people every single day, whether at work or at home, with friends, whatever those circumstances may be, let us be pointing them to you. God, I thank you for who you are. And I thank you that you have made claim to us. Let us remember who we are and who you are so that we may glorify you in all that we do. In your name, amen.